Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today I'm joined by the last Fee Aberdeen, who's been shortlisted for the LGBTQI plus political leadership award two years running. She's also an Elvis Presley enthusiast, a burning love for him, one might say. I can't wait to delve into this suspicious mind of hers, but no. Anyway, a little less conversation for me. It's Karen Adams, ladies and gents. How are you doing today, Karen? You all right? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. And that was a fantastic intro. <laughs> no worries at all. What's your story, Karen? Tell us about, about yourself. Um, well, really, I'm, I class myself as a mother first. You know, that's um, one of my greatest joys in life. Sounds cheesy, I know, but it, it is. Um, so I'm a mother of six. I have some children with additional support needs, uh, neurodiversity within the family. Um, you know, I've been quite involved heavily with education systems and health systems for years. Got quite exasperated um, at a few of the roadblocks, so to speak, and ended up being quite politically active during the 2014 independence um, referendum campaign. And from there, um, I found, you know, real purpose in life being politically active as my children were growing up a bit and um, ended up going forward for election to be a local councillor and then going forward for election to be uh, an MSP. And uh, both times I was elected and it's been fantastic. So now I'm able to draw lived experience um, from throughout my life uh, and take that forward into decision-making um, at the decision-making table, which is great. Oh, perfect. Well, and here you are now as an MSP and you mentioned independence uh, there. And one of the arguments for an independent Scotland, certainly for the supporters, is that we, is the welcoming nature of our country. Yes. You know, we all want to be a small European nation with international friends and partners working together in the EU. Now, I grew up in Edinburgh, um, which I think is a pretty cosmopolitan place. I think Scotland in general is a welcoming place uh, for people to come and live. You know, there's a massive recognition of the LGBTQ community, for example. But the reason I said in general uh, there, Karen, in terms of being a welcoming place was, you know, we had quite an important recognition a couple of years ago that Scotland isn't innocent in terms of mm -hmm. racism. You still get race, racial slurs that, to be fair, an open conversation are now being called out. It's something that people are certainly taking a note of uh, a lot more after the BLM movement. Thousands of people gathering in Edinburgh and Glasgow. You know, social media was rammed. You know, it got the conversation going. Sports people are still protesting that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there is still this inherent voice in some people. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or in Karen, but Jink the momentum with that movement has lost a bit because it wasn't even just about a group of people and a group of protests. It was meant to be a, a way of life we were endorsing, a sort of cultural shift. Do you think we're too quick to forget big news? You know, it seems to be this common theme in British media that, you know, it's big news for a few weeks and then people tend to just completely forget about it, even stuff as big as the BLM. So I just wonder what your thoughts on that were. Well, I mean, just as you said there, as soon as something hits the media and gets quite a lot of press attention, you know, and it draws it to the attention of individuals and households. You know, that's where the real conversation starts for people. And it can be a really reflective time. And I think, you know, we have to honestly look within ourselves and look at our own language and our own behaviours. And sometimes that's really hard for a lot of people. And I mean, I know myself, speaking from my experience, I really had to look a lot within myself at my attitudes and behaviours, you know, to certain things. And I think 
you know, we're human beings, it's part of life, it's part of progression, and it's part of our, our education, our social intellect, that we take on board things that we're learning. But I think for some people that can be incredibly hard, particularly if life has been a particular way for a long period of time. And especially if people aren't exposed to certain aspects of life, they, they, they don't see things happening around about them. It's not happening directly to them. So it's quite easy for them to dismiss and perhaps put, you know, mutually um, exclusive um, barriers onto things. So people who will be thinking, why are we concentrating so much on Black lives mattering when, you know, this particular issue is happening right here now in my community? And they don't often see that correlation with, within their communities themselves. So I think it's important to, to always bear in mind that it's, it, it's, it's a learning journey for a lot of people and it can be quite difficult, particularly if you come to the realization that perhaps you have been racist you know, at, at times in your life. And I think we often see this kickback to anything new, to anything, well, new, it's not new, but you know, newly highlighted to us. And um, I think that's just part of life. That's part of how the media you know, spins it as well until the next big story comes along. So it's important for us to remember and the people that who have had a bit of enlightenment to keep that conversation going, to keep that conversation open, but also you know, to, to action what we've learned. It's really important that we're great allies to people, to minority groups and to underrepresented groups within power. Because without allyship, you know, th these groups really do struggle. For example, um, within council, we often had the conversation for Black History Month, you know, is this being taught in schools? Are children being aware that Black History Month is happening, regardless if there are any Black children and young people within the school? We should still be having that conversation on it. So it's, you know, trying to change attitudes as well as to, well, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't impact me, so why should I care? So it's really important that, that people keep that conversation going and we, we speak about it and we highlight it. But make no mistake, there, there's often going to be kickback from that, but such as such as life, you know, and then that's been throughout history. But I do think we're making momentum on that. Um, you know, just last year we had our first woman of colour elected to parliament, which has been a long time coming. Um, but it's ensuring that we're not just trying to get underrepresented groups and, and being candidates into, into positions, but we make sure that we make it a welcoming place once they're there as well. And so it's a whole culture shift, but we've all, we have that individual and collective responsibility to play our part. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, you talk about some of the momentum that has happened, but, you know, I, th I think people are starting to question whether that momentum has, has kept going. You know, look at the mm. documentary with Jean Johnson on the BBC. She said, like many others, she'd bought into this rhetoric that Scotland is this opening, sort of diverse, welcoming, inclusive uh, place. You know, as, as Robbie Burns wrote, we're all Jock Thompson's bairn. Mm. But she said, this appears not if you're a black or a brown person living in Scotland mm. today. And I think she quoted uh, a lassie from Edinburgh Uni, Deborah Kayembe, who said that, you know, she had a mob outside her house telling her to go back to where she came from. She had mm. a used sanitary 
products put through her door. Mm -hmm. She had nails put in her tires numerous times. And the same um, documentary, the reason I mention it, Karen, is because you talk about it, have we changed, have we learned? Are, are we on this sort of learning journey that you mentioned there? And the same documentary spoke to a father and son, grocery shop owners, and they were intending to explore whether it was a generational gap and whether attitudes mm. had improved since the 80s and 90s. And they basically said nothing's changed. You know, the father mm. and the son had gone through the same name, con abuse, discrimination, racial slurs and threats and that. And awareness of these campaigns are brilliant, right? But one thing I will say is that I don't know if it's just me that's noticed this, but I think since the BLM movement, there's actually been more racism and abuse on social media than there had, ever has been, certainly in my experience. It seems to not only have like shed light on the issue, but it's also galvanized racists to speak up. It's, it's, it's bizarre. You almost have this like conflict of interest where raising awareness is brilliant, but for some reason it also encourages some people to come out and just no care less. I mean, I'm honestly baffled that some of the things I see online now that people not only think, but actually want to go and put online, it's mental. So I just, I wonder what has happened to the tool that we adored 10 years ago. Do you remember social media spread throughout the Arab countries and the Arab Spring happened, you know, thousands toppled dictators in their country Ooh. after seeing people like protest online and that. You know, people were talking about how Facebook's changed the world and this connectivity is, is unbelievably beneficial. Is it a case of us being aware of the effect on the impact it's had having on our mental health, Karen? Or do you think this is just genuine repercussions of this thing that's, for example, leaving kids overwhelmed with anxiety? Well, I, I think, you know, you've highlighted some really crucial points there. And of course, the age of the internet, social media, all has a part to play in this. But really, we'll have to focus on the institutions of this country in particular. If we look at, you know, just a few years ago, if we look at the undertones of Brexit, the Brexit vote, how unwelcoming we were to Syrian refugees. But now in the similar circumstances, we have Ukrainian refugees, which people are more welcoming and accepting of. And, you know, we don't have to dig deep to see that that is an obvious um, racist lens, um, to be honest. And I think that we have to hold people to account, the people to account for, for doing this, such as the UK government's hostile immigration policy. And um, that in itself perpetuates all this um, you know, narrative throughout the media, through social media. If we look at Twitter, for example, and Facebook, we have a lot of bot accounts. We have you know, highly funded people pushing these things. In particular, you know, the, what's been happening in regards to the, the trans community of late, we, we do know, you know, and, and it, it's, you know, it, it's been a proven fact that a lot of these lobbyists and bodies, they originated from right-wing Christian groups in USA, and that has bled through um, here to the United Kingdom and into Scotland. And what has happened is, as soon as we put our head above the parapet and said, we think this should be improved for trans people. As soon as a minority group gets a bit of attention, that's it. You know, the, the, the pushback from these groups, the groups that have the money to, to push their agenda, fight back against it. And it ends up being an extremely toxic and dangerous uh, environment for people. And we really have to push through education. 
we're talking about, you know, young people are much more switched on. And I know we do have a mental health crisis. You know, our young people are really suffering with anxiety just now, as you said, but they are extremely switched on. If you talk to any, you know, Gen Z, they're very much aware of what's going on. They're very much more, and it's not even accepting, you know, there's no acceptance needed. It's just a given that everybody should be treated equally. You know, this acceptance of people, I find it a bit um, distasteful to say that, although, you know, we still do use that word because everybody, you know, should be equal anyway and treated equally. But the minute there's any kind of political gain to be made from pushing down minority groups, there are those groups that will jump on that, you know, and, and make hay with it. So part of what we need to do is to radically change how institutions operate. And that is getting people from underrepresented groups at the decision-making tables within, you know, our, our policing, within our health service, within, you know, political spheres, right down to community groups. You know, it's really imperative that we do this and education throughout our schools. And I think that is working, you know, you said there is a generational thing. And I do think so. If you look at the groups of people who are kicking back, for example, when I am quite open and discussing trans rights, the majority of the kickback online I get are from middle-aged to older men. So we have to ask, why is that? You know, obviously that's a misogynistic slant on there, but they're jumping on saying that they're standing up for women's rights, etc., which they really aren't because, you know, they're being abusive towards me and and myself as being in the public eye, that's not exactly standing up for my rights. But, um, you know, we have to be aware of the demographics that are coming forward and causing this abuse, who are stirring up hatred, and we need to get tough on it. So, um, you know, last term of government, we had the hate crime bill, which is helpful. Um, that goes a long way to tackling a lot of this. We do have, you know, these things do take time, unfortunately, time, that a lot of people don't have, people are suffering right now, but all these things do work eventually, but we've got to ensure that there's progression on that, that we continually push for it. We need to educate our young people. Now, the more our young people rise up, you know, uh, and have a voice, the better. I'm often um, seeing a lot of kickback as well when I speak about young people having a voice. There seems to be, um, you know, a, a really fierce negativity towards young people having any kind of vote or, you know, say in any kind of public office. You know, Nicola Sturgeon announced that she was looking into perhaps allowing people as young as 16 to come into elected office, which I think is great. We have 16-year-olds, we have young people who need uh, representation. And I really feel that it's a rep representation in all decision-making areas that needs to be reflected with the society that we live in. So that includes women, BAME, LGBT people, young people, and in particular, working class people. Why is it, you know, that the majority of our parliamentarians are wealthy, are well off? That is not reflected of society, particularly now with the cost of living crisis that we have at this moment in time. And I know people pick on the fact that people have several jobs. Well, I know working class people who are two or three jobs, but they're still scraping 
together their money at the end of the month to try and pay their bills. It's not the amount of jobs, it's what type of jobs they have. And that's what we really need to be focusing on. Where, where their power lies, where their influence lies, and why do they consistently jump on minority groups for political populism to you know, stay in power? So it's that awareness, and I think it's education is just at the root of all of this. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that was really well put, Karen. Thank you. Hey, but to come back to social media, in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of things that take time to, to work. In, in terms of a short, a more shorter term things, what, what's your thoughts on social media identity mm-hmm. verification? You know, surely it's, you know, it's time to say enough is enough. You want a Facebook or an Instagram, you know, hold up a photo of you next to your passport, your driving license to say it's you, you know, yeah. don't like it, we'll just come off it, that type of thing. And I, I, um, I'm not sort of stepping over a line here, Karen, but I did read that you were suffering from some social media abuse uh, yeah. yourself. And what, what was that like for you? And what, what, what's, you, what's your stance on uh, verification because of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for verification. I, I just think it's absolutely horrific. Some of the abuse that people face, particularly women who are outspoken on social media, I mean, I'm quite outspoken at the fact that, you know, we need more awareness around um, predatory behaviours and we need to safeguard our children. And if you, you know, you speak to any uh, children's groups, children's charities, you know, rape crisis, they will tell you that it's really important that we don't dehumanise predators because these people are around us. We we know them in our day-to-day lives and we need to be aware of what they can, you know, they're, they're hidden in plain sight. So, I mean, I had put out a tweet saying that, you know, they're, they're not these like monsters that people, you know, um, deem them to be. Of course, we could say they're monsters for what they do, but they don't look like a monster. You know, they look like anybody else you would pass in the street. They don't have a tattoo in their forehead saying that they're a predator. So it's important to safeguard our children. That they understand and know this. Now, that tweet was taken, it was misconstrued that I was trying to humanise, you know, uh, predators or be sympathetic towards them, which was absolutely ridiculous. You know, uh, I'm also a survivor of child sexual assault myself. And that's why I was speaking up about it from experience as to why it's so important that these people can often come across as good and kind people as part of the grooming process. And to discount that is horrific. Now, I received abuse such as somebody saying they were going to put me through a wood wood chipper, that they were going to kill me, and all these death threats. Now, I've just had the conclusion of the investigation into that, actually, and nothing is being done. And the reason nothing is being done is because a lot of these accounts are, as you say, you know, they're, they're not really verified. You don't know who's behind them a lot of the time. But a lot of the time, these accounts were um, from America and coming from America, and of course, different laws there. And Twitter is an American company, and they are very much for freedom of speech, regardless, regardless of the consequences on people. Now, I, within my home, I've been doorstep by a journalist before, so I knew that somehow people could get my address. And I was absolutely terrified of that. I felt sick. I couldn't sleep properly. I was really worried about the safety of my children, if people found out, you know, what school they went to, or, you know, if their school was getting targeted, saying you, your mum is a paedophile sympathiser and all, you know, all of these things just completely taken out of context. And, you know, I was quite concerned about that. And 
you know, we talk about the environment being a safe place for women to come forward into decision-making um, roles. And part of the public eye, being under the public eye, it is part of scrutiny, and I absolutely understand that. That is really important. But for some reason, you know, women coming under, um, you know, this stricter scrutiny than, than their male counterparts, they're subject to much more abuse, and it's not taken as seriously. And we end up, um, last term, we lost a fantastic parliamentarian who stepped down because of the pressures. Um, and we also had a councillor step down that I, that I know of because of the pressures. And I think, you know, we really need to start asking questions. Why is there not enough women come forward this term for, for a council either? And it's because they see what happens to myself and to other female politicians, and they just don't want a piece of that. You know, and, and why would we ask people to come forward, step forward to be abused like that? So it's not just here in Scotland, really these online social media platforms, they're based in America. You know, we need to have some global movement that, that can help safeguard people. There are things we can do to help safeguard us online. And part of that is not being as outspoken, but I refuse um, to do that. You know, I, I will take stuff on the chin. I really dislike it when people say, well, you know, you need to grow a thicker skin. The issue with growing a thicker skin is if you're not sensitive to stuff, is it's not really the type of politicians that people want. Do we want politicians with a thick skin? Because I could name quite a few. And I, and I think I would rather have a compassionate, in-touch, sensitive politician than somebody with a really thick skin. So we need to change, you know, that idea that people have of what a politician is as well. Yeah, well, first of all, sorry to hear that you went through all that, Karen. That's absolutely horrendous. I'm sure all of my listeners will be shouting out to their phones right now, thinking, you know, why aren't we doing anything about this? You yeah. know, like, you know, why aren't why isn't there dramatic efforts for governments to intervene? And I think we sort of people often point to this, you know, social media uh, companies putting pressure versus uh, government intervention, then ultimately nothing gets done. It's like we've blown the whistle mm. and nobody's moved, you know. And I look at the stats, Karen, you know, 91% of young people, 18 to 24 year olds, get their news information from digital platforms. Yeah. Nine out of 10 of the top sellers in advertising globally, digital platform companies. They literally have the power to control human behavior. Mm -hmm. They've got knee jerking to check our phone multiple times a minute. They've created a business model where they've developed a fear of missing out in numerous industries and the significant financial gaps for companies that use their platforms compared to those that don't. Mm. People are literally selling their rights to privacy because their attention span is that bad. You know, they can't be bothered to click three or more, four more buttons on their phone because tracking devices are like leading them to it and they want to scan all your information. You know, think of the amount of times mm. that you popped up in the, this cookies thing and you'd, you're so mm -hmm. it. you just accept it anyway. It's, it's, it's mental the lack of patience people have. So yeah. do you think it's a case of these companies are simply too powerful now? Is that a money thing? Or what is stopping uh, our governments here intervening, even if it is US companies? Yeah, I think we'll have to have a greater conversation on that. I mean, uh, that is something that, you know, I'm really trying to delve a bit more into. I know that data gathering is massive business. It is big business to, to gather data on people. 
and to to push out you know obviously they do this for advertising um, you know it, it's a capitalist agenda at the end of the day that's what it is and profiteering off of other people's uh, misery and profiteering off of disinformation and you know often we hear the the you know i don't want to use i don't want to use this term but you know what Trump is all saying fake news but what happens is people end up thinking well you know I, I, they didn't trust him didn't trust what he was saying did they trust the media did they you know where do we stand with this there's so much gaslighting there's so much chaos that is caused by online um, media that people end up being distrustful of, of anything and everything. And then on the flip side, you have people who believe everything that they read. You, know, you just need to look at some news article and it's got the headline and then you'll see the comments and people are commenting on the headline and other people are correcting them saying, well, did you read the article? Because that's not exactly what it said. But as you say, it's attention span. It, we're so quick just to believe, you know, one line or, or think we know what an article is just by reading the headline of it, which is, which is incredibly dangerous. But yes, that's a, it's another thing. It's such a fine line. We don't want to over control the media. The media is a public service. It's there to inform us. It's there to help hold power to account. But we have to ask, you know, is that happening? That, that's important thing, is that happening? And, and yeah, what do we do globally? You know, where, where do we start with this? It just seems like such a huge machine um, to, to try and beat. And you can understand why young people are just exasperated with it. You know, I'm often here from, you know, I, I have uh, young adult children and they often, you know, laugh at Facebook. They just think it's hilarious. They just, they just think it's, um, you know, a, quite a, a pathetic media platform actually you know they'll say to people where did you get your new you know facebook but if somebody comes out with something that seems to be a bit uneducated so i think young people certainly are a bit more switched on i think they do understand that they can't trust everything that they see or they read or they hear um but at what point can we get out that honest good media and communication that they're going to understand and believe. How do we educate people to um, to ensure that they're the fact checking, for example? And where is that fact checking coming from? You know, in the era of deep fakes, you know, it's it's really difficult. But yeah, I think we, we need to catch up with it certainly. You know, absolutely. And and adding to that difficulty, these are huge questions that we're talking about today. But Massive. adding to that difficulty is the right to privacy, you know, yeah. be more important than, you know, attacking sort of hackers, espionage and fraudsters and all that. And, you know, we live in a democracy, as you said, we've got free mm -hmm. speech that's also important, but it's largely just out of control now. The majority of the cyberspace isn't in control of the state. We don't have this gatekeeping of the mainstream uh, media that we used to have mm. maybe 15 years ago. Uh, and there was a contentious bill, I think it was in the mid 2000s, about the right to police for the police to access your personal information without, um, if they had a whiff of, you know, potential terrorism, mm. didn't even need legitimate grounds for it. So it's almost like the Chinese sort of omnipresence, but mm. it, I don't, it, it's obviously difficult. And these are big questions, but yeah. here's a here's a more lighthearted, smaller question for you, Karen. I seen this um, online the other day. If you could go back to the early eighties when there was none of this technology and have a life without the technological boom. Um, would you go for it or would you keep things as is? 
Oh, that's really hard. I think I would keep things as is, actually. Um, I do enjoy the technology. I, I remember the 80s. Um, I think nostalgia is quite a dangerous thing. Um, I could look back to the early 80s and think, oh, that was great because I didn't have bills to pay. But really, um, you know, I, I think what we have right now is fantastic. But I do often wonder if the technology that's coming forward you know, the access that we have to so much knowledge, I mean, just global, um, you know, input into our lives now, which we didn't have back then, it's, it's good, but are we as human beings able to keep up with that and to keep up with that flow of information? Because I think that's why our attention span is so short. We just can't read or retain everything that we've got at our fingertips now. I, I remember trying to find information excuse me, we'd have to look in encyclopedias at home or we'd have to look up the phone book or, you know, those sort of things. And now in the palm of our hands and our phones, we can just instantly access um, information. But, um, you know, I, I do I do like that. I like that I can, um, you know, look up information that I need. I love the fact that I can network across the world, make friends across the globe, interact with other people and I think that's really important with to know what's going on around the world particularly the last two years with COVID as well if you could imagine that happening you know back in the 80s uh, how would we get that information out to people and keep people safe so even things such as the the briefings that we had on COVID were so important and um, particularly for disabled groups as well my dad's deaf so he really appreciated the, the BSL interpretation of the COVID briefings every day. That was so important to have that in his first language and it kept him and his community safe. So I think, you know, no, I wouldn't go back to the 80s, but sometimes I do miss having a lot less responsibility. <laughs> well, what about if you had to go back to a decade? Uh, which decade would it be? I bet uh, Elvis decade. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would go back. I'd go back to the Elvis decades. <laughs> I would love to be in my early 20s in the, the late 50s for absolute for sure. And um, yeah, I'd make sure I could get over to America and um, try and meet Elvis Presley in his heyday in the, in, the, in the early days. But I love the music from that era as well. It's just simple music, but at the same time, um, it's just, you know, it, it does something for me. I just think it's, uh, it's great. It's a good escapism that early rock and roll sound, three instruments, um, you know, and, and a really fantastic performer as Elvis was. Well, you've talked about the, the struggles that women have in today's society a lot uh, today, Karen. Um, and as a woman in politics, as an inspiration to young people, what advice would you give to people up and coming, not just, to, not just in politics, but to make a name for themselves in society and, and life more generally? I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's if you have an idea of, of what you want to do, that's fantastic. Um, go for it. Absolutely go for it. And don't let anybody stand in your way. You know, there was um, a, a study done, and, and I suppose I can relate it to this topic, where, you know, and I've tried it myself now. I've, I've done a, a little experiment, and it's, and it's true. Walking down the street as a woman, you'll find that you tend to move out the way of other people and men don't move. And it's true, it happens. So it's, um, you know, as a woman, you keep firm your direction. 
Now I've started to do that, to just keep heading forward, walk forward. And oftentimes I'm bumping arms with the man coming the other way. Now that would never have happened before because I would move out the way. I'm not moving out the way anymore. And I say that to any young woman, don't move out the way. It's a feminist power move. And, and, and do that in life. But also, you know, don't feel bad if you don't know exactly what you feel your purpose is or what you want to do yet. Because it's important to know that part of life is experiencing many different things. You might pick up something and drop it in a few weeks, months or years, and that's fine. Gain as much experience as you can, talk to people, get to know people and really enjoy life, enjoy um, learning new things, educating yourself and just that discovery. As I'm getting older, I'm realizing that life is far too short to move out the way for other people and not to dip my hand into other things and, and educate myself on, on other things. Being so active within the LGBT community has opened up a complete new world for me. It has been incredible and it's been the most fulfilling and amazing time of my life. And I never thought this would happen in my 40s. And it's just, it's wonderful. There's so many things to look forward to in life, but I would say, you know, you have to think of yourself sometimes, but always, you know, think of other people. But sometimes I think as women, as young women, we often think about other people um, more than ourselves and put other people first. And sometimes it's important to do that, but not all the time. And I think we'll have to have really good boundaries, stick up for ourselves and be your own advocate. But what I would say to other people um, and, and not just women is if you're not going to get behind women, get out of their way. Get out of their way and let them get on because um, you're standing in the way of it. You know, it's this whole new focus, like the police Scotland, you know, don't be that guy. Um, we'll have to start flipping the focus on other people. And it's the same with, with allyship, with the BAME community. If we can't get behind the BAME community, get out of their way, but we need to be helping and facilitating them. And it's our, it's our individual responsibility. Absolutely. Well, listen, we're coming to an end, Karen. You've been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It wouldn't be an untribal uh, podcast episode if we didn't finish off with a bit of lighthearted Patter at the end, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. Firstly, would you rather an independent Scotland ever led by Tories or a United Kingdom ever led by centre-left parties? I think an independent Scotland, even if they were led by Tories, because I'll tell you, I think it's really important that Scotland has its own voice. And if they chose, you know, the Tories to lead them, then so be it. It's about democracy. At the end of the day, it's not about ideology. Okay, well, this might change your mind. Have you heard of Snog Marry Avoid? Yes or no? That's right. Okay, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, and Jacob Rees Mogg. Oh, listen, avoid, avoid, <laughs> avoid. All of them. I <laughs> just, no. Uh, okay, let's, let's do what was in, in Scotland then. Let's go Douglas Ross, Alex Cole Hamilton, and Anna Sawa. Listen, talking about my colleagues here. No, no, no. Avoid, <laughs> avoid, avoid. <laughs> uh, fair enough. There's no women in there, though. There's no women in there. You have to remember them. Where you're that's that's true. Yeah, to be fair, I was just trying to ick you Assume out. Assume my sexuality. <laughs> I was just trying to ick you out as much as possible, to be honest. <laughs> but listen, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners, Karen? You've been absolutely brilliant today. Um, no, I think that's about it. But thank you so much for having me. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, 
please reach out as karen.adam.msp at parliament.scot. Happy to have a conversation or a chat. Perfect. Thanks, guys. See you later. Okay, thanks. Bye.